Amen, amen, amen. Hey, welcome to Harvest. My name is Trey. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. And I just want to say welcome. It is good to see you all. Um, I'm going to make the ultimate dad joke. I haven't seen you all since last year. It is wild. It's been so long. Um, But it is so good to see each and every single one of you. There's a table behind me. Uh, We are starting a brand new series this week called It Is or The Good Life. Um, and, uh, how many of you guys made new year's resolutions for 2023? Raise your hands. Nobody. Okay. A couple people nodding their head. Yes. All right. So the reason we all make, uh, new year's resolutions, um, is, uh, we want to better ourselves. We want to take the next step forward. We want to know what is next. And so we all strive for the a, a better life than 2022, a, a, a different life than we had in the year prior. And that's what leads us to these resolutions. One thing I love to ask adults um, is specifically this question. I was with my parents over the, the um, holidays and I said, when was the last time you sprinted? And my dad's like, what do you mean? I was like, no, like, I'm not talking about like, oh, you like got to hurry yourself up somewhere. I'm talking about like you full up, open up, ear pocket, fear that you're going to fall over. And my dad just laughed. And he was like, I don't know, probably 10, 15 years ago. <laughs> like, I don't know. And uh, I asked um, my mom the same question. And my mom runs, like my mom will get up on a Saturday morning and like, I just ran 10 miles this morning. I'm like, oh, it was so frustrating. But I, I, would, I would be like, mom, when's the last time you sprinted? And she gave me her answer, and it was a couple years ago. And I, I love to ask adults that question of like, when's the last time you full-on sprinted? And they can give me an answer. And I, I, But here's what I'm getting at. I think, you know, if I were to ask anybody in this room, hey, can you go outside right now and sprint 10 feet? Give it everything you have for 10 feet. I'm sure the majority of you, it would be a different speed than 10 years ago, right? Maybe different than last year. But you could give it everything for about 10 feet, this short sprint, right? Because no matter where you are in your health journey or wherever, we can muster up the strength to give it everything we have for a short amount of time. But here's a different question. If I were to ask each and every single one of you to go outside and run a 5K without stopping, that's a different story, right? Like, that's a different ball game. We can naturally go short distances really well uh, and give it the best of our abilities. But when you talk about the long game, like the, the game, the race that is longer than a sprint and requires a different pace, none of us can naturally do that very well, if at all, without stopping, right? And so, Sometimes when it comes to faith, we get these New Year's resolutions of like, this year's going to be a different story with my relationship with God, with my family. We're all going to go to church for uh, the entire year until one kid has a meltdown or you were out late on a Saturday night and Sunday morning the alarm goes off and you're like, you know what, babe? You know what, guys? Not this morning. Or maybe it's your health journey. You know, I've seen more people at the gym at 5 a.m. than I have seen uh, when I would go in the afternoon all of last year the past couple of days. Like, there are so many people that are showing up, trying to get in shape. And I'm, I'm 
interested to see what tomorrow looks like at 5 a.m. at the gym to see if it's the same number of people or if there's starting to be a, a decline in who's showing up. Why? Because we are designed and capable of sprinting. It takes work to go the distance. And this series, The Good Life, what I want for you, and more importantly, what I want for you, what God wants for you, is to not have a faith that is full of sprints and stopping and recovering and catching our breath for a period of time, but he desires a faith for you that can go the distance, that you can look back and say, God has empowered me and enabled me, not without work in and of my own self, but to go the distance to where I can say, I can look back on my life and see God's faithfulness, but also see that how he, how he has enabled me to where I, I don't remember a season where our family dropped out of church for a season, where our, our, our marriage didn't become unhealthy for a year or two. I, can't, I, I want, but more so what I want for you is, or what, more than what I want for you, God wants for you is to have what I like to call the good life. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 2 this morning. If you have your Bibles, if you wouldn't mind opening up. Thank you, Danny. I was, <laughs> the table came out, and I noticed my iPad with my notes was not on it. And I was really about to just say, God, through your spirit, do a miracle in me this morning. Because I, I, I know what I'm talking about, but I need some help. So thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, Revelation chapter 2 this morning. John, uh, the disciple, is the author of Revelation, and a little bit about John, the author of the book that um, we're going to read this morning. And if you have your Bibles, great. Turn, flip there, phone, swipe there. And if you don't have either, it'll be on the Sky Bible, aka the screens for your convenience. But Revelation chapter 2, John is the author. And here's a little bit about John. John was the disciple that we read about in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He wrote it. John, after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, um, was charged by Jesus to take care of his mother, Mary. That's how close John and Jesus were. John saw all of the other disciples that he was following Jesus with die brutal, bloody, martyr deaths. And they even tried to kill John himself. And John was uh, put in a vat of boiling oil, and yet he did not die. So like a fan of the opera type face going on with this guy. Like this guy is scarred. He has been beaten and bruised. Uh, and at this point in John's story, John uh, is placed on an island in exile because they're like, we cannot kill this guy. So let's just send him off on an island. And this island's name is called Patmos. Now, while on this island, Jesus, the resurrected, glorified body of Jesus, uh, appears before John. And it's really cool how uh, John describes how he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus not as what he saw him on earth when he was following him. He sees Jesus with eyes of fire, with a crown on his head. He was white like lightning. It was this, or it, it was kind of glory, like white like lightning. This thing glowed around him. And he says he did not see the man that he saw on earth. He saw the king of heaven and all of his glory and what he was. So Jesus makes this appearance to John while John is on this island. And Jesus looks at John. And he goes, I want you to write this letter. And these are my words. So this is not John writing from inspiration from the Holy Spirit, like a lot of scripture is written by. This is John writing, having a face-to-face -face conversation with Jesus. And Jesus says, I want you to write seven letters 
to seven churches because I have something to say to these churches. And that's what we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks is these letters to these different churches. This first letter, this first church we're going to be looking at this morning is a church in Ephesus. It's a church in Ephesus. Now, to give you a little context of the city of Ephesus, it was the New York City of the day. It was estimated that about half a million people lived in this city. It was a Roman city and Roman occupied and all trade happened in this city. It was the epicenter of trade, of, of, um, of life. It was, it was where people went and they traveled. They had to go through the city to get to a, an, another path to take them on a different road to a different city. This place was the happening place. And in Acts chapter 2, when uh, the Spirit fell and we, what we know as Pentecost, uh, John and some of the disciples were there and they preached the gospel. And all the Israelites had uh, made this pilgrimage to Jerusalem where the Spirit fell and Pentecost happened. And they all, or a lot of them, believed. And so on their way home, back to whatever city they came from, a lot of them back to Ephesus, uh, they began to share the good news of the gospel. So in Ephesus, at this time, Christianity is beginning to explode. These different house churches are beginning to meet. These different large congregations are beginning to form. Uh, the Apostle Paul made a couple of journeys there to help strengthen and build the church. And so the church is, is growing. It is doing well. But Jesus has something to say to this church. And in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, is what we're going to read this morning. And it says this. To the angel of the church in Ephesus right now, when it says to the angel of the church, what Jesus is saying to the pastor, to the shepherd, of that church. In the original language, that's how it would have been um, translated. To the, to the pastor, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Here's what he's saying. I have something to say to the seven churches, the seven stars, the seven lampstands. Here's what, he ha- here's what I have to say to the church of Ephesus. Verse 2. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Jesus starts off this letter to the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. He's like, hey, good job. You're discerning well. You're doing all these things well. Because there was a church in Ephesus, which was the church of Rome. What they did is they worshipped the the fertility god Diana, which was the major god of Rome. So if you can imagine with me, without me going into too much graphic detail, the fertility god, there was a lot of debauchery. 
in that city because that is what they did. That's the God they worshiped. And so there were churches in Ephesus that were Roman churches that had uh, uh, pastors in that church that preached to partake in, in having one day to enter paradise. You had to participate in this debauchery actually inside the temple. That is what was being preached in that day and age. And so what John is writing, what Jesus is saying is like, hey, good job not falling for that. Good job in having sound doctrine. Good job in serving sacrificially. Good job in giving generously. Like, great job. But there's this one problem. You're doing amazing things, but I have one gripe with you, church in Ephesus. You have abandoned your first love. They didn't lose it. They left it. They abandoned it. Yes, they were doing the right things, but here's the thing, with the wrong motive. Jesus says at the beginning, I know your works. I know what you do. And good job on your works. Here's what he doesn't say. I know your faith. I know your love. He says, I know your works. But you have done it without love. And that is a problem. They did the right things with pride, not with humility. They were intellectual elites without love for God and people. And they had gotten to the point where what they were doing, what they were practicing, and what they were studying, it wasn't about for the glory of God and out of their love for God. It was about being an elite person in a broken world. I want to illustrate it like this. Do you remember, if you're in here and you're married, when you would first go on dates, and I don't know about you, but even now when me and my wife go on dates, I'll, I'll typically like look around the restaurant, um, and sometimes I'll see this new couple, right? You can tell if they're on like their, they just started dating, right? Like the water cup has been in front of them for 45 minutes and not one drop of water is gone. They haven't like stopped gazing into each other's eyes. They probably haven't even blinked yet. They're just having the most deep conversations you could ever imagine. Like what's your favorite ice cream flavor? What's your favorite color? What's your favorite movie, right? Like all these different like important things to know about um, who you're going to be dating and their food comes out and they can't even touch their food because they're so full of each other's presence. And then you got to the table next to, next to, like next to them, the couple that's been married for 30 years, right? Wife is, or whoever, is looking around. One spouse is looking around, like sees that young couple and just goes, I remember when. And looks across the table at the other spouse on their phone. <laughs> Checking ESPN, checking Etsy. I don't know what girls do on their phone. Checking Pinterest, like, I don't know. Doing whatever, and it's this. Hey, I'm right here, engaged in conversation with me. Hey, I took you out to dinner. We're here, right? Like, I've been faithful. We're good. What more do you want from me, right? Like, I have checked the boxes. I'm about to pick up the tab. What more do you want from me? Like, we did a date night. Good job. And then you look over at the young couple who is probably looking at their wallet, like texting their parents, can you spot me a 20? I can't pay for this. What happened between this young couple and this couple who's probably celebrating their 40th or their 50th wedding anniversary? What happened? They had forgotten their first love. 
There's a difference between, if you remember, when you start out dating somebody, there is this infatuation. Me and Lauren's first date was on a pier in Togo, West Africa, right? It was just me and her out in the middle of this lake. They had this long pier, like 50 to 75 yard long pier out in the middle of this lake. And we were sitting on sofas and all we had was a bag of peanuts and one Coke to split. I have never in my life topped that date. <laughs> like that was the like pinnacle of romance for me. And now we're looking at our budget. I'm like, you want to go on date night? Yeah. I'm like, where we got a gift card to? Like that's, that's our life right now. Right. And so like what happened? What happened between this young couple and this now couple who is having hard times communicating? They're going through the routine. They're raising the kids or maybe they're empty nesters and they don't even know each other anymore. What happened? They forgot their first love. They forgot about that love. I know that's a silly illustration, but hopefully it gives you a picture of a greater illustration of what Christ is trying to communicate to his church. That in order to live the good life, we must remember our first love, Jesus. In order for you and I, in this thing called the race of faith, the race of Christianity, where we are running and doing our best and pursuing Jesus, in our pursuit of Jesus, we will get gassed and out of breath in 10 feet because we're giving it everything we have without the discipline and the, 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 the spiritual health we need to go the distance. And in order for you to have a good life, to live the good life that Christ has called you to and empowered you and has given you the roadmap through his word to live, we have to remember our first love, Jesus. Have you abandoned your first love? Have you gotten to the point where you are just going and doing and before you know it, you are just doing life instead of loving life? Do you serve the church, give, know the Bible, and yet still feel like you haven't grown in the faith in years? Do you feel like God has removed the light from your lampstand? Can I tell you why? It's because you have abandoned your first love. There's a reason when the Sadducees, who didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, you know, it's a funny way of, I learned it in kids' church. Why were the Sadducees sad? Because they were sad, you see. They didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Anyways, uh, why were the Sadducees upset? Why, why were they having so many questions? You know why when the Sadducees asked, hey, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus didn't look at them and, <laughs> and say, do this, do that, do this, do that, tithe, do this, attend, worship, sing. Love me. Jesus, what is the greatest commandment out of all 613? I'll tell you what it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Love him with everything you have. So it's, it's not serve. It's not do this. It's not do this. It, it will get to that. Do not start there. Start with love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Love me with everything you got. Your first love. Trey, how do I remember, regain that first love that I had towards Jesus? Well, luckily, Jesus doesn't say, hey, I'm calling you out and I'm leaving. He gives us a roadmap. He gives us help. In verse 5, which I think is the key verse in Revelations 2, 1 through 7, it says this. He gives us this command, number one, the command to reflect. The command to reflect. In verse 5, verse 
5, the first part of it, it says, remember therefore where you have fallen. Sometimes you hear, you know, people say, you know, I got saved and I never looked back. I get it. I don't want you to go back. But it is biblical to look back. And what Jesus is saying, what God is commanding is like, remember from where you have fallen. Remember what it was like before you knew me. In that moment that you were introduced to me and what those next couple months and years looked like. I grew up in the church. I'm a pastor's kid. And I remember I got saved at the age of 15. I remember. I remember. It was a a crazy moment in my life. And I got saved at the age of 15. Fast forward, I'm 22 in college. And the joy of my salvation is gone. Oh, I was preaching every single Wednesday to to, to, uh, to students. I was leading a middle school ministry of about 130 middle schoolers. Like, I, I, I had, the, the second I graduated college, I knew I had a full-time job in ministry waiting for me. I was dating what is, who is now my current wife. Theoretically, I should be happy, right? Theoretically, I should be full of joy and, and, and like, just happiness and peace and all. No, I was, I was numb. I was paralyzed. The thing that I knew should be giving me joy, I was numb to. It got to the point where I had to go see a counselor and go through intense therapy for six weeks. How did you get from saved at 15 to this point where life seems to be going great? You're doing everything you're supposed to be doing, and yet you are numb. I'll tell you what happened. I lost my first love. And it was in that moment where I went to counseling that my counselor, who was a Christian, thank the Lord, says, I want you to take me back. And for the next hour, tell me the story of how you came to know Jesus. So I, I went back, and for the next hour, I'm going to tell you. No, I'm just kidding. And so I went back, and I remember I was at a youth camp. I was 15 years old, and it was 1 o'clock in the morning, and I could not forget. I could not let go of what the pastor um, who preached that night at youth camp was telling me, what he was preaching. And it was just the gospel as clear as can be. And I remember just being overwhelmed with the sacrifice and the love of Jesus that it was 1 a.m. and the Holy Spirit was doing something in my heart and I couldn't deny it any longer. So I pulled my camp counselor out at the time. His name was Janelle Mary Me, uh, but we called him G. And so I pulled G out and I said, man, I need to know Jesus. He's like, dude, you are the camp director's son. You're the pastor of the church's son. Like, you should already be saved. He didn't say that, but like that's what I thought he was going to say. But instead, on a little bench on a dirt road in Keystone Heights, Florida, I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And that very next Sunday, I stood in front of the church and I got baptized. And when the second school started, I started a Bible study at my school during lunchtime, and I grew it from three kids to 30 kids pushing tables together, inviting my Sunday school teacher to come in during our lunchtime, during his lunch break, three days a week to lead us in a devotional. I remember we, I invited, uh, my friends to church, I would pick them up to church no matter what it took. I'm like, I'll drive my mom's minivan. I don't care. I'll turn in my cool card, whatever gets you in the door. Right? I remember that same year I led the first person I, I, I had ever uh, led to the Lord that year. 
It was this crazy stir and this whirl of emotion of when I became a believer and put my faith in Jesus, what he did in my heart. And I reflected on that moment. And I remembered what God did in my life for two years because I wanted to go into law enforcement. But God said, I want you to go into ministry and preach my good news wherever you go. So I said yes, and it was at 22 sitting in the counselor's office that I just began to cry. Why? Because I had remembered where I had fallen from and what God had done in my life and where he had brought me and that joy and that love that I first had. And what God is telling you and and that church and, and, and maybe even you where you're sitting right now is remember that time and that moment in 1970, 1980, 1990, 2000, 2010, maybe this past year. That moment when you knew Jesus was calling your name and you could not say no and you put your faith in him. Remember that. And all that he had done in your life. Has you lived a perfect life? Absolutely not. That's what grace is for. But remember how drastically different God turned your life around the moment you said yes to him. Remember where you had fallen. That's what God is saying to this church and it's what he's saying to you. Remember, command to reflect. Number two, challenged to repent. Challenged to repent. The second part, it says, therefore, remember we have fallen. Number two, really quickly, it says, repent, right? Remember we have fallen, comma, repent, comma, and then it goes on. But repent, confess, acknowledge that you have fallen short. Some of us, the biggest hurdle for us to remember our first love is not sin. It's self-righteousness. The attitude of, I didn't forget God, or like, I've been going through the motions. I think I'm okay. And if we were to do a real third-party objective report on your life and on your heart, there would be some things that would come to the surface that you do not want to hear, but you know are deep down. We are challenged to repent. Let me say this. If the people of God will not repent, how can we call others to repentance? When was the last time you got alone with God and asked him like David did in Psalms to search your heart? Not for the culturally acceptable sins. Like, hey, man, what do you struggle with? Well, I struggle with pride. Oh, man, I'll be praying for you. Like, we're comfortable like, saying that stuff. Or how about this one? Like, hey, man, what are you struggling with? Oh, man, just, you know, just, just pray for my spouse. Kind of just Heisman it away from your own heart. You know, we don't like to say, hey, what are, you, what are you really struggling with? I'm really struggling with hypocrisy. My bad, I didn't mean to ask. I'm going to walk away, right? Hey, what are you struggling with? Well, I'm a 40-year-old man, and I have not broken the addiction to pornography. Hey, man, what are you struggling with? I'm really struggling with this addiction that I cannot break. What are you struggling with? I'm really struggling with, I don't know who I am, and I'm in my 50s. I, I, I don't know. What are you struggling with? I can't tell you the last time I felt a real connection to my spouse and we've been married for 20 plus years. I don't know. Remember how God good, how good God has been to you in the past and acknowledge and confess your shortcomings in the present. Admit where you have fallen short. Why? Why, Trey? Because then God will forgive me. No, if you're a believer, God has already forgiven you. 
We don't repent to gain forgiveness once we're a believer. We don't repent to gain grace once we're a believer. We repent to acknowledge how much forgiveness we actually need in our lives, the amount of grace we actually need to cover our souls and our broken hearts. And when we come to grips with how much grace and forgiveness has been poured out on us, in return, we can't help but look at an amazing, loving God saying, thank you, I love you, I don't deserve this, and I'm in awe of you. So I don't do this for what you're going to give me. I do this because of what you already have given me. And I worship not to gain, but I worship out of a response of what's already been given. Repent. Return. Number three, convicted to return. Later on in, so remember where you've fallen. Repent. Later on in verse five, it says, and do the works you did at first. Do the works you did at first. Continue to serve. Continue to go come to me in my word and in prayer. Continue to give generously. But do it out of passion and love for me. Don't get yourself in a rut. There's a difference between a rut and a routine. Routine is life-giving. A rut is a, is a grave with the ends kicked out. Do what you did at first with this childlike faith and wonder when you first came to know me. Not this dead religion, but this vibrant relationship. Be unashamed. Pursue me again. I am infinitely knowable, and the more you know me, pursue me, you will grow in awe of me and admiration of me. And your response will only and can only be obedience. Out of guilt? No. Out of love. When Cade was first born, it was this wild experience. I think I've shared this story before, but I'm, I was not prepared. Television did not prepare me for the birth of our child. <laughs> and I remember just this wild experience of, of Lauren pushing, and it was only me and this seemingly 12-year-old nurse in the room with us. And Lauren, in between pushing, was like, can I get some ice? I'm like, ice, ice, yes, right, right. Lauren could have looked at me and said, I need you to go outside and set yourself on fire. I'm like, where's the gasoline? Where's the match? I don't, okay, yes, absolutely. I was in this moment in such awe of her strength and her ability to push out another human being, right, and to endure this. And and the second Cade came in this world, it wasn't, am I okay? It was, where's my child? Let me love on my child. I was so in awe of this person that I was like, you tell me to do anything right now? it's yours, right? You know, like a couple months later, I'm like, opportunity lost. No, I'm just kidding. But at the moment, I was like, I am in whatever you need. Yes. Right? Why? Because when I was looking at her giving birth to our son, I, I went back to the moment where mentally I went back to the moment where we were standing at the altar together saying, I do. I went back to the moment where we were in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, on the beach she got baptized in, and I got down on one knee, and I proposed to her. I went back to that, that pier in Togo, and I just remember this life we had built together and this life that we can have together. All of this is we're building a family together. And I remembered this love that we had for each other. And there was this moment where I, I, I loved her, and I'd, I was willing to do anything for her. Are you at that point with your relationship with God 
where he could look at you and ask you anything. And you wouldn't have to be like, well, I need all the details. I need to know when you expect this by. Uh, I need to know. It's an immediate yes. Whatever you need from me. It is a resounding, confident, no matter how crazy it is, yes. Out of guilt, out of love. Out of love. So what do we do? How do we regain our first love? We go back. We repent. We return to what God has called us to do in the first place. And along the way, number four, we're called to be resilient. We're called to be resilient. Revelation chapter 2, and verse 7, it says this. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And here's what he's saying. In the Garden of Eden in Genesis, there were two trees, the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Humanity is always tempted to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the one that the serpent tempted humanity to eat in in the first place. Scripture boils down sins to three categories, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. And they tempted Adam and Eve. If you eat this tree, you will be like God. If you do this, you will receive this. If you do this, it will give you the desires of your heart. If you do this, it will fulfill that fleshly desire that's within you. If you do this, you will gain so much status. You will do this, you will do that, you will do lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. That is what Satan, the enemy, the adversary, tempts us with. So we turn to our first love. And when we return to our first love, you think you're void of temptation? You're wrong. That is when the enemy whispers deceits in your ear through culture, through a screen. I can't, I, there's infinite number of ways the enemy tempts us. But whenever he whispers that in your ear to return to a dead religion, that is not effective to advancing the kingdom of God. Here's what he's saying. Here's what we need to do. Here's what God's word is saying. Be resilient. Be resilient. How do we be resilient? He says this, listen to the Holy Spirit in your life. That conviction. Sometimes we don't like that word because conviction means, oh, I'm dirty and I'm guilty. That's not what conviction is. Conviction is this, it's, hey, you're walking down a path that Jesus wouldn't walk. Let me stir you and pull you this way to the correct path. So embrace conviction because conviction changes direction. That's all he's saying. He goes, if you want to eat of the tree of life, the good tree, the the tree that will give you the paradise, heaven on earth, the good life in which we've been talking about, be resilient in your faith, trust the Holy Spirit, and follow truth. Be resilient. Resilient. This is the path to the good life, to remembering our first love, Jesus. And I'm going to end with this story. Maybe you're in this room and you say, Trey, I, I am where the church of Ephesus was. I am doing, 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 and I am not loving. I feel, I feel so much shame in this moment. I'm probably the only one in this room who feels like this. I'm probably the only one. Even Jesus' followers could not have felt like what I'm feeling right now. Like John wrote Revelation chapter 2, John also wrote John, right? Makes sense. In John 21, we come upon this story. 
And in this story, here's a little context of this story. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, the one who spoke first without thinking first, right? One of Jesus' closest disciples. When the night Jesus was arrested and taken, Peter was around a fire waiting to hear what if Jesus was going to be guilty or not guilty on charges that he was not guilty of. And he's sitting around this fire, and somebody walks up to him and goes, hey, don't you know Jesus? And he goes, no, I don't know Jesus. Get away from me. Hey, aren't you a follower? Aren't you Peter, the, one of the disciples of Jesus? And out of fear of being crucified like Jesus was about to be, he goes, no, I don't know Jesus. Get away from me. And the third time, somebody walks up to him and goes, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? And he took the Lord's name in vain and says, I do not know that man. Get away from me. And if you know the story, Jesus foretold that Peter was going to deny him three times before the rooster crowed. And right when Peter denied Jesus the third time, the rooster crowed. And out of guilt and shame, Peter ran away from the scene, was not there when Jesus was crucified, was not there when he rose again. He abandoned him. He left his first love. And what did Peter do? Where does he go? In John chapter 21, we find Peter going back to the same beach, probably the same boat in which Jesus found him in in the first place and said, I want, to be, I want you to be a fisher of men. Peter's back out on that same sea in that same boat fishing again. Why? Out of coincidence? No. I think out of sovereignty of what Jesus wanted to teach us in Revelation chapter 2, he went back and remembered where he had fallen. And he went back and he's out there fishing and from the shore, Jesus, like he did in, in Matthew at the beginning of his journey with Peter, says, hey, cast your nets on the other side. Jesus has risen from the grave at this moment. And he goes, hey, cast your nets, Peter, on the other side. Just standing on the shore like, kind of like that, hey, remember that inside joke we had? Remember when I first told you this? Peter looked up, knew exactly who it was. And there were some other people in the boat, and they began to row to shore. It says in John 21, earlier on, what we're going to read, it says, Peter jumps out the boat. While they're on their way to shore, jumps out the boat and swims faster than the boat. He knows this is Jesus, and he swims faster. And in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19, really quickly, it says this. When they finished breakfast... Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then he said, then tend to my sheep. In verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And, and he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said to him, then feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying all these things, he looks at Peter and he says, follow me. The beginning of Peter's story, he calls out to Peter, hey, guys, you're not catching anything. Throw your nets on the other side. This guy's crazy. Who does this guy think he is? So they throw him on the other side. They bring in more fish than the boat can carry. They have to let some fish go. And he goes, follow me, and I'll make you fisher of men. 
a lifetime with Jesus later, three years later. He denies the man, and here comes Jesus walking on the shore. And he says, throw your nets on the other side. I know who you are. And he comes to him, and he goes, again, do you love me? Yes, God, I love you. Then follow me. There is no, I'm done with you. There is no, you got to earn this. There is, it's, hey, go on, follow me. Follow me, your first love. Do you love me? Yes, God, I love you. Then follow me. Do you want the good life, a life with purpose and a fire on the lampstand? Remember your first love and follow him. This morning, we're going to end the service with partaking in communion. And if you haven't already, there are cups and stuff in the back. And you can go ahead and move now if you need to grab one. If you already have some, um, just stay in your seat. But um, go ahead and move. And as you're doing this, this is a moment where we get to look back and remember the sacrifice, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus and what that implies to us today. That we don't have to make sacrifices. We don't have to constantly worry if we have a right standing with God. But that when God looks at us, he does not see our sin. He sees the righteousness of Jesus upon our record and upon our soul. He sees it. And that's what he judges us based upon. And so this morning, if you have forgotten your first love, here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to say eat the bread, drink the wine, or drink the juice. Here's what I'm going to say. During this next song, we're going to sing. This is your personal moment. When you eat the bread, remember the body that was broken, so that way your body eternally will be made whole. Remember the blood that was spilled, so that way you and I do not have to spill any more blood to atone for the sins for our sins, but it was shed for us, and now we just receive the righteousness and goodness of God. And during the song, we're going to sing, oh, praise the name of Jesus. I'm encouraging you after you partake in the bread and you drink the juice, do you just worship? Remember, remember your first love.